Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm your host, Neil McCrady, Martin Palomo of Pinnacle Trust with me today. As always, we're going to talk uh, elections, how it might affect the economy, what things look like, uh, what you can expect as we um, get closer to November in an in a election year that promises to be quite divisive, as most election years do. Uh, before we get into all that, let me tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle, no haggling. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. Uh, you can do what I've done, and it's what I would recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. You'll love the way that they treat you at Clark Ford. Corey always says he wants to be your car guy. He wants to be a truck guy. And when you call that number, you'll start to see what that means. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get started, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust. Indeed. Um, you know, our regular listeners have have uh, probably could almost regurgitate the story for me. Um, but, I'll, you know, for anyone that's listening that's new, um, we are started about you know, 23 years ago uh, by Stacy Wall. He had an idea to kind of break out away from what was normal at that time and um, and kind of create a firm that, you know, where he was actually, as we, if we can use a Wayne Gretzky quote, quote uh, skating to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. Um, and what he did was he aligned our interest with the interest of our clients. So, um, you know, the transactions that used to take place, a uh, client would pay per transaction and the, you know, the broker or the advisor made his money, whether the client made money or lost money. Uh, the way that Stacy set us up is that uh, we are in, we're in the, we're in the boat, we're on the ride with you. Um, so when our clients' uh, accounts are, are growing, you know, our, our income and our, our firm is growing. And when our clients' accounts are, are falling, you know, our income is attached to that. And so it kind of puts us in a situation of wanting to protect and grow our clients' assets or savings because that protects and grows our income. Um, one of the things, another thing we've been doing is um, we've been really active with communication via the podcast uh, through a couple of other uh, blogs and and uh, market updates that we've done with our technology. So, you know, I know we're kind of returning to, at least markets are returning to somewhat normal um, from from the beginning of the coronavirus and uh, you know, if you didn't hear your hear from your advisor or you had knots in your stomach during all this, give us a call, 601-957-0323. You can also email us, info at pinntrust.com. Uh, we're also very active on social media, so you can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter. You can just search Pinnacle Trust or Mine on My Money Podcast, and uh, we'll respond back to you. So um, 601-957-0323 or info at PINintrust.com. So we are, uh, it's June, today's June the 9th. We are less than five months away from election day. Yep. 
as of today, I'm, and I'm using for people who wonder what, what source am I using for the people who think that I'm one side or the other, that I'm, I'm, I'm out to I'm out to get somebody I'm using realclearpolitics.com over the course of time. I'm, I'm, I, I'm typically very interested in politics, though this year I catch myself less interested than, 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 than usual just because I find a lot of what's going on disgusting. But uh, I found that they're pretty reliable. They break things down nationally by state. Uh, as of today, Tuesday, June the 9th, Trump's job approval, according to Rasmussen reports, is 55 disapprove. Approve was 44, so he has a disapproval rate of plus 11, which is uh, pretty rough. The general election, uh, I'll go with two. By the way, CNN's uh, job approval on Trump is a disapprove plus 17, disapproval 47, 57, approve 40. Uh, the general election, Trump versus Biden, if you use the Hill-Harris X poll, Biden is up 10. Uh, if you use the uh, CNN poll, Biden is up 14, 55 to 41. The other one was 47, uh, 37. And then if you want to get into some uh, state polls, we'll pull these up if you're, if you're interested. Some of the state polls, which is, of course, we have an electoral college in America. Uh, these are the latest ones in uh, Michigan. This was as of Sunday. This is an epic MRA poll. I don't know who that is. Real Clear Politics, what they do is they take all polls. Uh, they have uh, Biden up 12 in Michigan, which is significant. Uh, these polls were as of Wednesday, June the 3rd. The ones, everyone that I'm about to read. Uh, Biden up three in Florida. Trump up four in Pennsylvania. Biden up two in Michigan. Uh, tie in Wisconsin. Biden up nine in Wisconsin in a Fox News poll. Um... Trump up one in Arizona in one poll, Biden up four in Arizona in another poll, three North Carolina polls, Biden up one, Trump up three, Biden up four. In Ohio, uh, a Fox News poll has Biden up two. In Texas, a Quinnipiac poll has Trump only up one, which would be significant. If you told me today that Biden lost Texas, Biden won Texas, I would tell you, you can just turn the TV off, the election's over. Yep. And in California, no surprise here, a PPIC poll has uh, Joe Biden up 24 points uh, over the president, Donald Trump. So as we uh, as we get closer, that's uh, that's kind of where we are. I'll, I'll throw some other national numbers at you. I think national numbers and polls are, are, are pretty overrated, except for this. On Sunday, an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll had Biden up 7, 49 to 42. Uh, this is among a, a national, I don't know whether this is likely voters or just people that were polled. Um, and then uh, I already went over the other two. Trump, I mean, Biden up 10 in a Hill, the Hill poll and up 14 in a CNN poll on a Friday in a general election poll done by NPR, PBS and Marist. Biden is up uh, seven points, uh, 50 to 43 over over Trump. So as of right now, this moment, it's Joe Biden's election to lose. And um, Trump's doing a whole lot out there, Martin, to help uh, Biden win it. Trump's doing a whole lot to hurt himself. Uh, his, I don't know how prevalent his social messaging will be at, at the poll, polling place. Uh, 
the people who, who help him with this campaign have to be uh, just so frustrated with the man that they're working for. His, his messaging on Twitter is abhorrent. And I think the overwhelming majority of people who listen, even people who vote for Trump would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, I I totally agree with you that it's certainly, it feels like it's Biden's to lose right now, and um, you know, and Trump certainly hasn't done himself any favors. He's he's stepped on a a whole lot of toes and stepped on a, you know, on a whole lot of his uh, on a, a whole lot of his supporting base. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out through, uh, through the debates. Um, you know, through all the way through November, um, of course, and and this is not a me trying to support Trump or anything like that. Uh, he was not my guy. Um, I think we've both said that on here. Uh, and but you know, last in 2016, I was full on, you know, convinced that uh, that Hillary had this thing in the bag, and you know, and everyone was telling us that too. And then you know, election night, I remember sitting on my couch and fully expecting, um, a Clinton victory and, you know, and then, and then the unthinkable happened and, and Trump pulled it out. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a lot harder, uh, go at it this time. I mean, he's going to really have to, you know, pull a, a rabbit out of a hat and, uh, and ignite his base and, and ignite moderates as well. Um, you know, and from, and we can kind of talk about that from a, you know, what happens if, you know, if, if we have a Trump loss or we have a Trump victory, because I mean, really, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if our, our listeners have probably noticed, you know, even through all of the, uh, the protesting and, and whatnot, there has been a ton of, uh, you know, there's been a, there's been a ton of, of disconnection, um, from a political standpoint with, with Trump, but markets have continued to rally. Um, but that will not necessarily be the case uh, with, you know, when, when, when November comes around, um, markets do like consistency and, uh, you know, and a changing of the guard is, you know, can be, can be, uh, can be trouble for the markets, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay permanent either. I mean, we saw what happened with Trump, um, you know, when he was elected markets, markets took off. Of course, I think folks were looking at that going, you know, he's a pro business, pro economy guy, and he has done, he has done things to really help <clears throat> the economy, um, you know, and, and, and help businesses as well. But he's got a tough battle, tough battle this time. It's going to – I think we've got a bumpy road in the markets for the next – you know, probably starting in July all the way leading up to November. I'm not saying it's not going to go – it's going to grow, but it's going to feel like a roller coaster. I, the key, the, there's a couple of key things that I think that, that could impact the election. Let's talk about it. Uh First and foremost, I mean Trump's the the president, so he's got. Right. We live in a we live in a a time of incredibly short attention spans, and so what is, and the following is not a political statement. So before people just lose their minds at me, what is front first and foremost in our minds in June very likely will not be first and foremost in our minds in October and November. Oh yeah. Uh, there's the coronavirus, which is out there. There's, we've talked about it ad nauseum. We did a podcast on Thursday with um, um, with uh, Alan, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Alan Jones. Yeah, I was trying to. I was just having a mind mind blank because I do another <laughs> podcast where I talk to another doctor, Doctor uh, 
Michael. Right. Yeah, you're a, you're a lot busier man than me podcasting, so. And so sometimes I, I, I have to remember I have to remember which, which show am I on? <laughs> yeah. So so uh, we talked to Alan Jones. So there's a lot of COVID stuff. If you want to take a deep dive into into COVID and coronavirus, I would suggest just going back an episode, listening to that. I'll, I'll I'll summarize it quickly, which is a lot's going to happen one way or the other with the virus between now and then. Oh yeah. Obviously, if there's a second wave of it and the economy shuts back down, then that's one conversation. Yeah, we can oh, we can talk if, about that too, real briefly when you get finished. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we just did it. But if there's not a second wave, we're not going to be talking about coronavirus. And if there's not a second wave, the economy is going to be bouncing back to some certain degree, which is from a political standpoint. Typically, over the course of history, when the economy is good, the president's reelected. When yep. the economy is bad, the president is not reelected. That is. Over the course of American history, that is the way that has worked. Now, there is also a, a great social movement right now in the wake of uh, the death of, of George Floyd and uh, so much talk about systemic racism, so much talk about uh, uh, police brutality, uh, in, in particular as it targets demogra- uh, minority demographics. Uh, that that is a, a obviously unless you have been buried in the sand you know that is a major social issue today and it very very likely will continue to be a major social issue throughout the course of the campaign. Yep. Now here's what I was going to get at. We know who uh, Trump's vice president can vice presidential candidate will be barring something happening to him in terms of health. It will it will continue to be Mike Pence, right. who is the who is the sitting vice president, of course, the former uh, governor of Indiana. What we don't know as of this moment is who Joe Biden will pick as, as his running mate. And I believe this will be a bigger than normal uh, storyline because Joe Biden is old. Uh, Joe Biden is senile. Yep. Uh, Joe Biden often comes across as completely disconnected. He comes across as confused. Um, in Barack Obama's two successful presidential campaigns in 2008 and again in 2012, the Democrats basically hit Biden for most of the campaign. They have played that card throughout the last couple of months, and it is working. He is gaining ground uh, precipitously as the president uh, makes one horrible statement after another and, mm-hmm. and turns off people. And when you say, what do you mean, Neil? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'll, I'll tell you that now. I, my 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 conscience won't let me vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for him in 2016, and I'm not going to vote for him in 2020. I voted for Theo Epstein in 2016 because I, I live in a state where it doesn't matter. So before you yell at me, it doesn't matter. Donald Trump's winning Mississippi. So I don't have to sweat it, what, what my vote might mean. If, if anybody other than Donald Trump wins Mississippi, we can turn off the television because, believe me, it is an absolute landslide. It's over. So Donald Trump's going to win Mississippi. I can't vote for him. My vote doesn't matter because of where I live. Um, I talked to a very prominent Republican person today from a prominent Republican family who said, and I quote, I can't vote for Trump. Trump has done a lot of damage before anybody out there doesn't believe it uh, with the way he has handled the protest, the way that, that he has tweeted about some of the things that have happened in protests. Trump has done a lot of damage to himself politically. Uh, now, that being said, Trump's record as it pertains to important things such as jobs and uh, the economy is pretty strong. 
A lot of people have made a lot of money with Donald Trump in the White House. And I expect that the economy is going to bounce back a good bit between now and November. It already is. So Biden has to make a vice presidential pick that is going to be scrutinized. It's going to matter in so many ways. So much of the angry part of the Democratic base is demanding a minority. Biden has already said he will choose a female. They want an African-American female. Many of them do. If you look at who is listed as top 10 candidates, uh, it's, it's, uh, there are several African-American females that are in that, in that list. I'm, I'm reading from uh, journaltimes.com right now. Uh, I'll go to another one in a moment and, and go over his, his list of, of possible candidates. I think it's significant because I think a lot of people will look at this and say whoever his VP is, is very likely to be the president president. at some point in the next four years. I would agree with that. And and so it's it becomes a very critical appointment that he has to make. You know, and one of the things that this is kind of a often left field, but it it is one of the things that I've thought about with Biden a lot because I've seen I've seen a lot of the I watched one of his. uh interviews where he was on the view and it was really just for my entertainment which sounds awful to say that but it's but it's true because it was I can't believe they put him on there and let him and let him talk or not talk actually it was a lack thereof of and they were baiting him like to to do to get the right words out of him and and he just couldn't form the coherent thoughts and sentences to himself and you know and I was thinking I was like man more more so now than ever, the vice president for the Democratic ticket is going to be is going to be crucial. And I, you know, and I thought to myself, has there ever? And I don't know the answer. Um, and I didn't research it either before this is falling out of my mouth. But has there ever been a president that was deemed to be, you know, mentally, psychologically unfit for the job, not die, but essentially be? relieved of his duties in a vice no, president. It's, step in, so. No, it's never happened. Okay. I mean, I didn't think so, but I, before I opened my mouth and inserted my foot to chew on it a little bit, I mean, I figured you I think know the closest. The I think the closest that's ever happened was Andrew Johnson, who became president when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. There were, there were uh, a, a number of people in, in, in the, in his cabinet and in positions of power who felt that he was mentally unfit for the, for the office. Um, he was, you know, he did not, he did not get reelected, or he was not re- he was not elected, I should say, yes. in eighteen sixty eight. You know, and it is, you know, I think I, I agree with you. I think it, it's, you know, the whoever is the VP on this ticket is, you know, should uh, let's just make an assumption that 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 Biden pulls off the victory. Uh, I really do think that whoever is the VP on the ticket will act, will likely finish the first term um, as as president and. And really, and I think that Biden could still be alive, but just deemed, you know, unfit to lead. Um, I mean, everything that I've seen from him as of late, just, I mean, so my grandfather had dementia. Um, so I kind of, you know, I had firsthand experience with what it was like, what it looks like. And, you know, I've watched him a lot and I'm like, my gosh, man, this guy, you know, has all the signs and shows all the signs. And, and I may be totally wrong. I mean, I may be, you know, I may be totally wrong, but I just don't, it doesn't feel, I don't feel like I am. I feel like, I feel like there really is a health issue there that hasn't been, you know, disclosed. 
All right, so let's go over these names. This is Journal Times. I'll do it. They, they do it from 10 to 1, so by God, I will too. And I will throw in the same caveat that they throw in. I'm reading again from Journal Times, uh, Michelle Obama caveat. The first former first lady is not on this list because she has never indicated an interest in being a politician. If she does so, she would immediately dump, jump, I should say, to the top of these rankings. Same Republican person that I talked to said to me today, what if Obama, what if Michelle Obama got on the ticket? I said, it's over. They win. It's a landslide. He agreed. Uh, to this point, and as of fairly recently, she has said that, um, she is just not interested in, in politics at this point in her life, and, and that's not what she wants to do. Uh, I, will, I will take her at her word at this point that that is not something she wants to do. I do believe there will be increased pressure on her as we get closer into the heat of the summer if it does not appear that this is a landslide no matter what. And at some point, and I'm guessing that we have a conventional, somewhat conventional campaign, at some point, Biden has to debate Trump on a stage. Yeah, it's going to be bad. And and there will be a lot that Biden can attack the president with, no question about it. There will be ammunition, ammunition for days, but he's going to be up there for 90 minutes three times. And um, the odds are he's going to have pretty big gaffes himself, which I think is going to create a lot of uh, stress inside the Democratic Party because they, they, are, they are worried that this is a losable election, as they should be, if the economy uh, bounces back and if Trump could lose his Twitter password. So here are here are the first. Uh, Sorry, dude. <laughs> it's so true, man. I mean, how does how does he not know just to? I mean, I guess if you're a narcissist, like well, you see, he's a narcissist. Yeah, he's might be one of the world's uh, most. He might be one of the most narcissistic people in in history. Yeah, which is saying something. And, and um, I don't think he has, I don't think he can control it. He also desperately wants to be widely adored. And, and that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. So here we go. Number 10 is uh, Gina Raimondo. Do you know who that is? I honestly have no idea, but she sounds like she could be my, my Cuban cousin. She is the governor of Rhode Island. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, she's a, uh, She's a self-identifying moderate. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's she's, not a bad thing. She, no, she's uh, she's white. Uh, and and I I don't know. There's, she's number ten. I'd be I'd, I'd be surprised if if it's her. Number nine, someone who I thought it probably would be if there was a Democrat who was badly hurt by the George Floyd situation. It's Amy Klobuchar. Mm -hmm. The uh, the senator from Minnesota, former prosecutor, she has been uh, kind of pro-police throughout her political career. The police is a major issue today. The Democrats, in my opinion, are leaving a door open for Trump with the use of the word defunding, talking about defunding police departments. Uh, I think that's that's a word that is going to go over the heads of many Americans. It, it went over mine before someone explained it to me. A lot of people won't be as informed as, as others. I think I think this, I think Klobuchar has no chance to be on the ticket in the wake of the George Floyd thing. Um, so the, one of the things you said with the defunding piece, really quick, since you said that you thought you understood, and then and then you were you learned what it means. So not abolishment well, of it, police, but just. Moving it to yeah. Well, what it means is like in a city like Minneapolis, instead of having one overriding police department, 
you, you basically have a, a lot of smaller police departments that oversee the different parts of the city. So you, what you do is you end up creating more bureaucracy, but you take away unionized power. So is it like decentralized command? Um, I, I, I think so. I, and, and listen, at some point, if we're going to really have an American conversation, and election years typically give you an opportunity to have it. Yeah. If we could ever get past, and I don't mean this in a, in, a, in a divisive way, if we could ever get past the racially inflammatory aspect of this, and it's real, don't get me wrong, I have no, zero doubt that a, uh, an African-American person has a completely different police experience than a Caucasian person. I, I, I think that's obvious. It happens. It's a shame, but it happens. We're, it's something that, that is being probably addressed today more than it's ever been addressed, and that's a good thing, in my opinion. Now, that being said, once you get past that, if you will, and I mean that as sensitively as I can say, you've got to acknowledge that we, at our core, have a police problem in America. We have a police problem. Who grows up to become a beat cop? It's not our was, best and brightest. I was going to say there's I, there's a couple of, of law enforcement officers that I know. Um, I'll, call, I'll just talk on the local level because I have a couple of federal law enforcement officers. Yeah, no, we're not talking. We're not yeah. talking about federal people. I'm yeah. not. I, and see, people do this, and, and, and only, I'm not jumping you. But when people go, well, there's the FBI. No, I'm not talking about the FBI. Yeah, I'm talking about local. And I, I'm, not, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the the state. The, 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 the investigators or the state yep. highway patrol. Yeah, we're talking about local. I'm talking police. about local beat cops. Yep. So I have a couple a couple of guys I went to school with um, that are police officers. Uh, that are police officers now, and they uh, they were picked on a lot in high school, um, bullied, beat up, um, and then you know, and and they're police officers now. Uh, and I'm and I'm not saying that they have any. They don't have any that I know of record of bullying or beating up, you know, people, um, that they've come in contact with as officers. But those are some of the guys that I know that are, that are police officers now. Um, cause it's not, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a job that we give a lot of, of honor to when we're growing up. Right. I mean, maybe when you're a little bitty kid, I remember when I was like, you know, six or seven, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be military and a firefighter to ride the trucks. And I, I even wanted to be a garbage man so I could ride, the back of the truck. But then as I got older, you know, you had society telling you, no, 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 be, be better than that. And I was, and it's a kind of a stigma that real, that was really put on the job. I mean, it was be better than that. And now I kind of look at it and I was like, gosh, man, I mean, we really should have, um, you know, really high regarded, high honor folks that, that dedicate their lives to law enforcement. And I know there's a lot out there. Um, I'm just saying it's, uh, it's one of those jobs that, doesn't yeah, have a lot of honor. It doesn't. They don't. They don't make a lot of money. Right. They're they're always on edge. They're in high stress positions at all times. They don't get called to a home for someone. They don't get called to someone's house for people for to say, "Hey, man, everything yeah. everything's good here. We we had an extra burger. Once you want one, one. That, yeah. that's not what happens. Correct. So we have Correct. a police problem in our country. Sure. Anyway, number eight on this list is Tammy Duckworth. She's a senator from Illinois. She's a former uh, helicopter pilot. She lost both legs and the use of one arm when her uh, helicopter was shot down in Iraq. She's uh, been elected to both the House and subsequently the Senate in Illinois. Um, 
an interesting choice. Uh, certainly a, a war hero. Um, I'd be a little surprised if that's the route Biden went. Um, but she's on the list. Um, she wrote an op-ed for CNN um, earlier this week, or last week, I guess. So, I mean, she's, she's definitely on the radar. Not as much as number seven here, Stacey Abrams. Uh, that's, uh, help me here. I'm having a, a complete slip on who Stacey Abrams, where is she from? Um, uh, is, she, is she Georgia? Yes, yes, yes. She's the one that ran for, uh, ran for governor in Georgia and lost in a, in a, uh, much closer than anticipated race. Yep. Um, she makes more sense, uh, politically. She's in a state that will almost probably certainly go Trump's way, but if he could steal Georgia, the election's over. She would give him a much better chance there. She is African-American. Um, she wrote the other day, quote, voting is a first step in a long and complex process, tedious but vital. So she's, she's, she's in the mix. Another uh, African-American female is number six, Susan Rice, who was the uh, national security advisor and the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. during the Obama administration. She's got some baggage, though, that I would be surprised if the Democrats decided to roll with. Fair or not, we all have our opinions. She was attached to she, Benghazi, right? She was very attached to misleading statements about Benghazi. That's what I thought. Um and also her January 20th email on Michael Flynn on you know, uh, Trump's inauguration day. So there's a lot there that the Republicans could attack. She doesn't make a lot of sense in, a, in an election where if you're going into it and you believe the polls and you're, you're Biden, they can play defense the whole way. They can basically play. Remember, I don't know if you remember, you know if a basketball fan remember before the shot clock, North Carolina would play the four corners. They'd run five minutes off the clock with one offensive possession. I mean, they'd get a six-point lead, and it was like being ahead by a thousand. And they they would just kill the clock, just wear it out. Yeah, and and so I think Biden can kind of play old school. Hey, let's just don't fumble, don't fumble. Let's punt, play smart, play play good defense, be conservative on offense. Don't give them anything. Let's run the clock out. I think that's their their strategy right now, and 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 she would be risky in that regard because. Well, I, I think she's um, is the type that would, uh, because she's intelligent, she has uh, foreign policy experience. She could really discuss. She could compete with Pence in a in a vice presidential debate and, yep. and not embarrass herself at all. In fact, she'd have a real she'd have a, a real chance of of having a strong performance. That Benghazi thing could come back to haunt. The Flynn thing could come back to haunt. I yeah. can't imagine that's the route they'd go. Well, especially with, you know, one of the things that kind of came out last week, um, you know, that was really not widely reported with all of the protesting was, um, you know, Clinton is going to have to, Hillary Clinton is uh, is going to have to testify about her emails, um, you know, that were deleted or having on her, on her private server. Um, so, Timing wise, that could also be because I think that's coming up in what maybe and I don't quote me on it. Maybe September, October is when she's going to have to testify about the about the emails and the private server. So timing of that could be awful for for Rice, um, you know, if especially if 
something comes out that that you know ties all of them to to the Benghazi piece, that would be a I don't that's a big risk. That'd be a big risk for Biden. Yeah, I don't think he'd do it. Number five here to me makes more sense for for uh, for Biden, and that's Michelle Luan Grisham. Do you know who that is? Um, nope, I don't know, man. That is the governor of New Mexico. Oh, she's a she's a Latin American. She's a Latina. She is. All right. She has. She's my, uh, she's my people, man. Uh, earlier in in the uh, in the race, there was a feeling that uh, Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Mastro Masto would be involved, but she has removed herself, according to reports, and that has moved up uh, Luan Grisham, the governor of New Mexico, into uh, very high up. She is uh, the highest ranking Latina in the mix that we're talking about. She's been very critical of uh, of Trump. She is in a state that is typically a swing state. New Mexico doesn't really belong to the Republicans or to the Democrats. It's gone both ways uh, over the course of the last, I don't know, five, six, seven presidential elections. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and we elect governors in this country more than we elect senators. Obama, o- Obama, notwithstanding, you know, Mitt Romney was a senator. He didn't win. McCain, a senator, didn't win. Uh, George W. Bush was a governor. He won. Bill Clinton was a governor. He won. Yep. Uh, we, we, Ronald Reagan was a governor. Jimmy Carter was a governor. We elect governors, not senators. And John Kerry was a, was a senator. He yeah. did not win. Well, I mean, we governors. Don't, we don't elect senators. We governors, elect governors have. Uh, there's more parallel between the jobs um, for a governor and president versus a senator and president. I get it. I mean, you know, now it's on a, albeit a lot larger scale as president than governor, but you know, very, very similar in structure. Number four on this list, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, who has run for the White House and fallen short now uh, twice. I'm kind of, su- eh, I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm, I actually, you know what, I'm kind of surprised that she's that high on the list. Liberals love her. Uh, yeah. She would unite the party to some degree. I think they got to go for the middle. They got to go for the moderates. The liberals are, I mean, the left is going to likely, they're going to vote for, for Biden, right? You know, the, 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 the Democrats are very focused on the voting vote turnout right now, as they should be. Yeah. I do wonder how many young people get out in November motivated to vote for two old white people in their late 70s. And that's Biden. And I don't know how old. I'll ask my Siri here. Hey, Siri, how old is Elizabeth Warren? Warren is 70 years old. My apologies. She's not in her late 70s. She's 70. She's 70 years old. Joe Biden is in his mid to late 70s. I do wonder, does do two older white people motivate a lot of Democrats to have the type of voter turnout that uh, Barack Obama enjoyed, especially in 2008, but again yeah. in 2012, when, when people were so motivated to vote? And the same thing happened in 2016. We talked about being a surprise about yeah. what happened in, in that election. But if you go back and look that morning on, on whether it was CNN or, or the networks or Fox or whatever you turn to, you saw these long lines of people in the Midwestern states waiting for two and a half, three hours to vote. Yep. You saw that in 2008 when Barack Obama ran 
for president for the first time, you saw lines of people waiting to vote, many of them standing in the pouring down rain to vote. And you knew, oh, this, this is over. I mean, he, he and that's what elections are about, motivating people to get out and vote. And, and I, I do wonder whether Biden and, and Warren would have that that impact. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think the chemistry. I mean, the excitement is just not there for the two of them. I mean, that's just my opinion. But. Number three is a name that I, I had not heard much of before recently. Uh, Florida House member Val Demings. She is a uh, black former police chief of uh, Orlando. Okay. Very, very uh, sharp as it pertains to law enforcement issues, uh, police brutality issues. She's moving up the list because of uh, the the conversation, I should say, in our country about police brutality and, and um, most specifically police brutality of, of African-Americans. An interesting choice. She's a Floridian. Florida, obviously a swing state. I don't know that she delivers Florida for, uh, for Biden. It would, it would be going all in on that topic. Yeah, I, uh, and I don't really know much about her, so I don't have, you know, I don't have, I have, I have no opinion. But, but yeah, it would uh, if I think I think you're right. If if she was selected, it would be all about running on the running on that platform of, you know, defunding police or or reform of 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 police procedures. Number two, uh, speaking of, she had a speech last Friday night. Um, after the, the protest in Atlanta, which became violent. She had a speech, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms. It was a profound speech. I don't know if you listened to it. It was a profound speech. It was, uh, it was very passionate. It was very well delivered. It, it was poignant. It was striking. It got my attention, and obviously based on the sourcing on this, it got the attention of the people in the Democrat Party. They have her as the number two candidate right now wow. to be uh, Joe Biden's running mate. Again, in, in Georgia, which is a potential swing state, a mayor of uh, of one of America's, I would, I would guess, two or three most African-American populated cities in Atlanta. I know it's Atlanta, Houston, Detroit. Um, very well thought of. Very, uh, very excellent communicator. Interesting, an interesting choice. I don't know how old she is. I would guess she's in her early sixties. I'll ask Siri. Hey, Keisha, how old is? I'm. Um, hey, Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, how old is Keisha Lance Bottoms? Keisha Lance Bottoms oh, is fifty years old. She's mine. She's only fifty years old. Yeah, nice. Yeah, she, she looks young. Uh, camera. She is eight days younger than me. Not old at all, right? She went to uh, no, we're old, we're young. We are young, people, super young, man. dude. Super we young. Are young people. We got just years and years left. Um, born in Atlanta, went to Georgia State, and then to Florida Atlantic, Florida A and M, I should say. So interesting. And then number one, and this is who I think it will be. I've thought this all along. I've told you and Stacy this for a long time. Yeah, I think you're on. We it was uh probably several months ago in the podcast, the last political podcast we did. I said that Joe Biden would put Kamala Harris on his ticket. I still think he does. 
She's the senator from California. She's a uh, former California attorney general. She's 55 years old. A lot of experience. Um, she does not deliver anything electoral college-wise. He's going to win California. If he loses California, he's not winning the election. Yeah, yeah no so, doubt. So it, it is a... That is the path that I think he will take. I've thought that for the longest time. Nothing has changed. She is the uh, least risky of all of the others. And when I say that, before anybody thinks I'm saying something, the others are unknown. You know, you, you if you take the mayor of Atlanta, she probably has not done a lot of things with foreign policy. You run the risk of her getting eaten alive in a by foreign Pence. policy debate. Yeah, well, not even by Pence, but... We don't know what's going to happen in September, in October. Is there going to be an international incident that puts international stories at the forefront of the election? Is the economy going to be in a such a way that you need somebody? Is it someone who understands world economics? There are the only issue that I would have if I were Biden and I were looking at bottoms and I were looking at, at Demings. And I were looking at, um, oh, those are the two in particular. They make a lot of sense. They check boxes. You're going to be accused of, of pandering no matter what. I would be a little concerned if I were the Democrats in that scenario with a candidate as weak as, um, as, as weak as, as Biden is. I would be concerned about getting a candidate whose strength is one particular uh, issue, one particular storyline, even though that I think that storyline will still be compelling in November, I would be a little concerned making that call in June and July and then think the playing field dramatically changes and I'm sort of stuck with someone who's not as overall as good of a choice as, as I suspect he will view and, and the Democrats will view Kamala Harris. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that the, I mean they're playing a game of chess, and they've got to they have to be smart if if they're you know if they're trying to to take this thing all the way through November and and come out victorious. Um, I don't think that they, you know, as as much as as, as Trump has done you know self inflicted <clears throat> uh, damage, it's you know he's still he's still going to be uh, you know a power to be reckoned with and debates and. And, you know, and we know that he is not at all above taking the gloves off and and getting dirty. Um, so yeah, I think they I think they have to be I think they have to be smart and very very strategic. Uh, I'm looking to see if there's anything else. Uh, Forbes 21 hours ago. I'm looking to see if they have anything different on their list. Um, they mentioned Demings. Of course, my computer wants to shut down at this point. Let's see. No, they mentioned Demings. Um, they mentioned Duckworth. They mentioned Luan Grisham. They mentioned Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer. I, I just don't think he can do that. Uh, Michigan handled the coronavirus so poorly. That would surprise me. The other name, um, Maggie Hansen, former uh, governor of New Hampshire, now senator from New Hampshire, is mentioned. Um, Klobuchar is mentioned. Um, 
Keisha Bottoms, Elizabeth Warren, Susan Rice, and then uh, they they also agree that they they agree that uh, Harris and Warren are the uh, the front runners for the position. They mention uh, Stacey Abrams. Um, but yeah, so it, it's if if I told you that that from a market standpoint, if I told you that a ticket of Biden and Harris won the White House, what would your immediate reaction be to how that would impact the markets? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's a good question, because I think that, um, you know, I think that, that it could be a, little, a bit of a disruptor. And really, I'd want to see what their what their economic policy is going to be, what their tax policy is going to be. Um, if it's one of the traditional, hey, we're going to raise taxes, we're taking corporate tax rates, you know, back to um, where they were pre-Trump, um, you know, I think that, that the damage, the damage to continued economic growth is, is real. And, uh, and, you know, and you can almost bake it in and I, you know, with kind of what happened in, uh, the, with the Obama years, you know, you had, <clears throat> you, you really had a fed that's looking, acting, acting, quacking a lot like our fed is today. Um, I don't know that that um, you know that Biden or or whoever his running mate is would would try to fundamentally alter um, you know that policy piece. But you know they could end up they could end up making some some pretty big changes to to policy that would have you know have an impact. I think that's the biggest risk, uh, the unknown risk for for the economy is <clears throat> is what's going to be their policy what policy changes are going to take place. And I know they won't take place in, you know, on January 25th, you know, it's uh, that would take time to kind of go through. But I think, you know, looking at whenever they drop their economic policy, and I'll be looking at that more, I'll be scrutinizing that more for both sides this year than I ever have in the past, you know, just com because coming off of, you know, our, our recession that we are technically in, uh, I think it's going to end up being the shortest recession in history. Uh, you know, there's a there's right now we have tailwinds, and you know, a change in policy could could create really big headwinds. So my biggest fear for a change in policy is that um, is that we start getting a whole lot of inflation uh, that we haven't had. And you know, and I think there's a there's a there's a decent chance that we're going to see that anyway even in Trump policies and I'll just I'll take an example of that being you know one of the big things he's talked about continuously is hey let's you know in his make America great again piece it's let's bring those jobs back to the US let's manufacture again in the US which I'm 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 all about um, you know bringing jobs back to the US <clears throat> but here's and here's the reality of it is the cost of goods the cost of labor in the US is going to be higher so the cost of those products are going to be more expensive. So that's just going to generally stoke some inflation, not anything that, you know, we couldn't handle. And that's a good thing, you know, net net, that's a good thing for, for us, but it does create the inflation that we haven't had in, you know, 12, 13 years. Um, and then, you know, where we are with, um, with our tax rates is the other big piece. Um, you know, we're right now corporations are paying the lowest amount of taxes that they've ever paid, which generally means that's cash that's freed up to do, you know, other things like 
reinvesting back into the business, reinvesting into, you know, into jobs. And if taxes go back to, um, you know, pre-Trump era corporate tax rates, you know, essentially that's a that's a, a, a cut in cash flows to, um, you know, to reinvest back into the U.S. and reinvest into into jobs. So I mean, I think those are the biggest risks of of uh, you know what happens with the economy if there's a if there's a change in leadership, you know, in November. Um, you know, am I the guy that's going to say, hey, you got to sell everything and go to cash, you know, in your portfolios if, you know, if Biden wins a ticket? No, that's not, that's, that's kind of extreme, right? Um, and, you know, and there was a lot of people when Obama was elected, they were like, you know, sell everything in my portfolio, sell all my stocks in my portfolio and, and take me to cash. And, you know, if you did that, you missed huge, huge returns from 2009, you know, on. I mean, you know, if you did it in uh, in January of, or hell, let's even say you did it in November of 2000, um, I mean, November of 2008, you you still had a, you know, you, you still lost a lot of cash in the markets. Um, and if you were in cash during the recovery, I mean, you that's that's stuff you can't ever get back. So it's not prudent to, to make these, you know, these wild, crazy, um, you know, take me to cash. And a lot of people try to do it timing it. But see, dude, when you time the market, you've got to be right twice. You have to be right when you sell, and you have to be right when you buy back in. And a lot of times people will get lucky when they sell, right? And then uh, and then they see the market draw all the way down, and then, you know, it roars back. And then by, well, by the time they're comfortable getting back in, you know, the the market has already surpassed where – they were when they sold out. So it's just like time in the market is more important than timing the market. Um, but you know, there was, it's, it's usually said there's, it's, you know, whenever we have a changing of the guard, <clears throat> you know, the markets react real poorly, which they are really volatile. But man, I mean, you know, if you looked at election night of 2016, um, you know, Trump, as we saw, Trump was was going to run away with this victory. If you were looking at the futures for the market for the next morning, they were down like 900 points, down a thousand points on the Dow overnight. And then the next day, the market closed up 300 points and it's been on a tear, you know, ever since minus the, you know, the coronavirus drawdown that we had. And I mean, but now, you know, markets are, they're not up to their highs, but they are, you know, they're, markets are at where we were on January 1 of this year. Um, you know, still, we still have a little bit of, a, a little bit of ways to go, you know, three, 4% to get back to the highs. But, um, but, you know, uh, it's been a good run for the markets. It's been a good run for the economy, you know, under a Trump administration, you know, God could, if we could change his password and not give it to him on Twitter, I think that would do him, you know, a lot of good, but man, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, Obviously, Biden is going to be asked about his his tax plan. Yeah. Um, he's going to try to dance around it. Someone will pin him down. He will say something or another. Uh, if Biden says that, hey, I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to reverse a lot of Trump's tax ideas as it pertains to corporations. That's something that that. Forget what how, what that means politically. What what happens to the market in, in the next morning? If he says he's going back to 
to the. Just going back to the, the Obama, the Obama taxing of, of the Obama regular. Obama had yeah. kind of an era of regulation. Obama wanted to tax corporate corporations. He wanted to tax companies. Obama wanted to obviously tax the the rich at a higher rate than than maybe Trump does. Although what Trump's tried to do, I think, is is lower taxes on small businesses. Yeah. Obama. Obama would. Trust me, as a small business owner, I can say this. Obama really wanted to to, to sock it to small business. He, I, I think it's ingrained in him to dislike small business, to not trust small business, uh, privately owned, into family owned business, independently owned business. I think I think he's just, I think he's just kind of wired that way. Biden was his running mate, so he went along with it. I don't. Now Biden's been a senator from from um, Delaware for a long time, so I, you know, his. His political beliefs are, are they, they predate Obama and they're his own. But if he were to say that, hey, we're going to go back to, you know, what, what we did under President Obama as it pertains to tax, as it pertains to um, tax rates and things like that. How would the economy react? Forget the politics of it all. Yeah. If he says that as the front runner for the president of the United States, what happens to the, to the economy the next morning? Yeah, I think I mean, you see huge sell offs in in stocks and the reason being is at that point it's just simple math um because you know you value a company the value of of a company is based off of their earnings their cash flow right so the more earnings and cash flow they have um you know the higher of the more valuable um a company is from a fundamental standpoint we won't talk about the there's a whole other side where people will bid up the price of things because it's perceived value and there's no cash flow but let's just for all intents and purposes, talk about just cash flow. So the value of a company is derived based off of how much earnings they have. And uh, if you if he says, "Hey, we're going from 21 to you know back up to the to the old corporate tax rates," you immediately have to know that earnings are going down by 15%. So you have to adjust the price of of the company by, you know, by the decrease in the amount of earnings. And it, it won't be per se a 15% decrease immediately, but you know, all of the institutions which react a whole lot faster than, you know, regular normal individual retail investors are, um, are going to have a valuation target, you know, put in place. Actually, they probably already have all of that math done, you know, now, um, you know, the guy, the big money managers already know if, Corporate tax rates go back to what they were, you know, pre-Trump. That that here's a valuation for each of the companies, and they will transact, you know, in immediately in pre-market, um, and and you'll see a you'll see a decrease in in the stock prices. So, you know, that's why you see a lot of a lot of um, volatility leading up to elections because it's really kind of a gamble of who do you think is going to win, and then how do you position your portfolio for you know based on that number. Um, or that outcome, and and that's why you have so, such a bumpy road because no one knows. I mean, even when we think we know, we don't know, and that's totally um, that is totally what happened in 2016. You know, I, everyone, I th- and including myself, I was like, Hillary's got it in the bag. You know, she's winning all the polls and got it in the bag, and then show up, you know, the day of, and Trump runs away with it. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, tax reform will be, will probably be the biggest issue, um, 
you know, with a, with a Biden victory. Um, and I'm just talking about from markets and economics. I'm not talking about social issues or anything like that. I'm just talking about from how this is going to impact someone's retirement savings, their portfolios. But really, I mean, if you're, if you're under the age of 55, yeah, let's say 55. If you're under the age of 55, really shouldn't be making any adjustments to your retirement um, accounts. They should be invested exactly on in November. Your retirement accounts should be invested the same way they're invested in January of this year. You should not be making <clears throat> any adjustments because you have s such a long runway to, you know, to to getting to full retirement. Um, you know, folks that are, you know, fifty-five to sixty-five probably want to go ahead and um, maybe start making the adjustments. You know, now to. Uh, take a little bit of risk or de-risk the portfolio, taking some stocks out, you know, just in case, because the upside is there, but I think the downside is is greater than, the, the downside potential is greater than the upside reward um, for folks that are that are right there within 10 years of retiring. And if you're about to retire, I mean, you should already be in your defensive, uh, you know, defensive to a moderate type portfolio anyway. Uh, there's no, absolutely no reason to take on crazy amount of risk unless you know you don't need that money that money is being saved for you know uh heirs or you know to give away for charity or something like that and then just leave it and let it grow but everyone has different plans but yeah it does matter man um but but i would tell folks not to make the you know these wholesale decisions of hey go to cash because you know we had a changing of the guard that's just it never works out good never anything else no, nah, man. I mean, I think I think that was good. We uh, we talked a lot about what potentially could happen, and then you know tied it all into how that impacts portfolios. Man, I think that was a a very well rounded show. All right, we'll we'll stop there. We uh, we had you almost at one hour, so we we gave you a couple of podcasts last week. So uh, we got <laughs> away from we got away from some of the COVID stuff and, and got into this, which I think is it all is all interrelated in this wild and crazy year that's not even halfway over yet. But uh, indeed. But anyway, uh, for for Martin Palomo, that does it for uh, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast. Don't forget, you can uh, learn more about Pinnacle Trust at pintrust.com. P-I-N-N Trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. Until next time, stay safe, take care, talk to you soon.